and the herd ran in fear. And the dark ones, children of the worm, walked the streets in the day. I turned my head from the sight. The phoenix told me, this is as it shall be, but not as it should. The phoenix left me then. Now I cannot dream. I can only remember the signs, each one in perfect detail. These are the last days. May Gaia have mercy on us. 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade presents Werewolf the Apocalypse, a review podcast. Hey folks, welcome back to 25 Years of ETM presents Werewolf the Apocalypse. Today we're picking back up on part two of Rage Across Russia. So let's put the needle back on the record and pick up where we left off. We're going to let Nick retell that and get elbow deep into it uh, because it is a fact in here. I want, to, I want us to hurry up and get there, actually, is what we're trying to do. Um, geography, though. As we're building this landscape, you understand the people, the politics, and the ups and downs from it. Nick, tell us a bit about these, uh, these, these echo disasters that we ironically have to care about here in this uh, book. Well, I, I hope we would care about the echo disasters in the book. That's kind of why we're here. Um, starting off, uh, it, it just starts listing some, some things you may not be aware of, like 70 million Russians breathe air. That's five times past the acceptable limit. That's considered safe. Uh, there's like 130 nuclear explosions that happened on Russian soil. Nuclear waste is dumped in the sea on a regular basis. Uh, each day, 920,000 barrels of oil are spilled in Russia. That's roughly uh, a, like an Exxon Valdez every six hours or something, they said. It was it's insane. They're, they're talking about uh, like there's an oil puddle, one like pipe broke, and it's uh, like seven miles long by four miles wide by six foot deep. I mean, it's a lake of oil. Uh, there's things we know about like heavy deforestation in Siberia. That's, that's not a secret. Chernobyl. I'm just going to say that we are we already know all about that. Um, there's even sections of the book where they go over the potential of there being like uh, bioweapons they developed during the Cold War, like anthrax and things like that, that they sealed away, but poorly. And they keep getting out. This is a real life thing. This happens. This actually happens. Um, massive hazardous chemical dumping and burning. That's right. Sometimes it's not enough that you just pour the chemicals on the ground. You got to burn them into the air. <laughs> uh, there's massive pesticide leaching on everything. They go into very detailed specifics, like how much pesticides. It's to the point where some women's breast milk is, is saturated with pesticides. That's how much of their food is covered in it. All I got to say, Silver Fings, you had one job. You had one job, right? Can't you, stop you the said- Stalin machine. One job. You might say Stalin was stalling them out. Stalin them out. <laughs> <laughs> Zing ho! <laughs> uh, but that's tragedy. not the, that's not the end of it either. No. Um, in the Ural Mountains, they had like a, a nuclear storehouse that just blew up, like boom, like you would imagine, blew the top off a mountain, spread radiation waste everywhere into the sky. You know, downwind and everything like that. That you're totally going to expect. They uh, they had what's called nuclear gulags. Oh, where good old Stalin. They would put people in like the Ural Mountains to mine uranium without 
any safety precaution whatsoever. So I was just like a guy in t-shirt and jeans, like tink, 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 knocking away at uranium, you know, as his teeth are falling out of his face. Well, they had to serve a life sentence, right? We have to make that distinction. Wasn't just anybody. You had to be a prisoner with a life sentence. But if you were a prisoner with a life sentence, welcome to mining uranium with your bare hands. Not, uh, not exactly what you want to be doing. There's, um, there's, they, they actually, they got around to talking about it and I'm super glad they did in this book, uh, where they talked about, uh, Lake Baikal and the Aral Sea. Um, the Aral Sea is like this natural inland sea in, in Russia. It was huge. Um, but it got dried up because one of its main feeders was the, uh, was Lake Baikal, but it got pushed out. Like it got drained down from irrigation. Like everybody wanted to use it for irrigation farm. And they dumped all kinds of stuff in there and they filled it up with old milk cartons and stuff, you know, like all the, all the standard stuff that when you have no, um, you know, like a environmental protection agency, you just get all kinds of stuff just like going to, going to hell. But it drained this aerial sea and you can see pictures of it today. They have like these giant tankers and things like that that are just sitting on a desert. Like, like somebody just dropped them in the middle of the Sahara. They're just sitting there, like no water for miles around. It's some of the best photographs you'll ever see when you see these old rusted out um, uh, ships from, from back in the day. To, to add to this, that's not enough, right? That's the real world. Gothic punk world, the situation is worse. So imagine all those problems with uh, infestations of banes, whether smog, oil, radiation, what have you. They're, the Banes are there, and their masters aren't far behind, because this is their playground when that happens. This is the actual attack on Gaia that's supposed to be there that's killing her. That's what's working, and that's what's in Russia. That's what the players come into. Uh, that's, that they got to stare it in the eye. Those, those are the problems. My favorite part is that in the other books, they always have to like exaggerate it. Not in this one. No. Yep. no uh, Russia really is like a travesty of uh, environmental you know, disaster. You ain't seen nothing yet, <laughs> as it's as it's said. Um, but we get to the Cairns here, and there there are, there are a lot of good ones. Um, I for one like the Black Fury in here uh, as well. Um, I think uh, from Amazon anyway, the flip here is that the Black Fury are not only dealt justice, um, it shows what their purpose is here. Pegasus is strong and inviting. Um, they are here to preserve the wild, and you already heard why, right? They're a powerful Cairn, and uh, they're here to basically cover a swath of land and at least preserve it from the depredations of what the worm has kicking around and that's everywhere and that's that's definitely a purpose um combined with the fact that you have the sept of the people's will that's in gorky park in moscow which i think is awesome this is interesting this is an interesting concept the bonar cairn where the sept call it marks because that's the total they don't they don't know what else to call it as in Karl marx with an x right uh but a city five they just call it marks because it's true names unknown they just know it's the totem that when they open it up, that's the totem that appeared. That's who's there. And uh, what's even cooler about this is their idea of how to run the sept. It's ran by the people. It's the will of the people alone. That no matter what your rank is, everybody here has equal standing. Period. Equal vote, equal standing. All are welcome. But once you're here, you have to obey to that principle. And if you do, if everyone has a say, everyone has an idea of what's going on, um, there's no one to come in to say, I'm the elder. I'm leading. This is how it goes. Uh, violently, you would be met with those principles of trying to establish it, as they're not having it. And this is something that came from the Bolshevik re- re- uh, yeah, the Bolshevik Revolution that they were a part of. Yep. And it's in the spirit of guiding the people that it still exists, which is awesome. The White Sea Sept you have is uh, 
tragic, right? It's a uh, tribal structure is that of the children of Gaia, uh, but it's open to glass walkers and bonars and this deals with unicorn. Uh, one, one, basically unicorn wants the children that are here and suffering to not be in that. And as you can understand, that's everywhere in Russia at this point, the children are no doubt just one of the many victims that they have going on. And the children of Gaia are there to try to help write that unicorn wants that done. And the glass walkers and bonars agree. They're there to help out and try to make this uh, something that can be done. And uh, they have a unification to do that. Um, the Sept of Fafnir's Brood, uh, they're near the Baltic Sea, St. Petersburg, Leningrad. Um, they're Geta Fenris. And what I found interesting about them is that basically they're just like bodyguards. <laughs> this, is the, this is the only time I've seen anything like this. This is a, this is a cairn of rage, which the, the concept of that alone, I was like, wait a minute. So you're telling me you're getting a bunch of get. They're going to put up their own Karen and the spirit's going to be dedicated to rage. Oh, well, it's a recipe for disaster. Well, Fenris led him there, right? Fenris led him there and said, hey, this is the place. And you have Gorman Stonefish channeled the anger of all the spirits and created the Karen. And it's, it's a Karen of rage. And they are literally chomping at the bit, waiting to, to, to get stuff done, like some unknown thing. Basically, they really lash out in any direction there is. Like if there's a war to be had, they get her ready uh, to do that. And they are only interested in, in destroying the worm. I <laughs> should be calling this like the Karen of just got done talking shit at the bike racks. You know how like everyone stands there in a <laughs> corner and they start circling around like, oh, man, if I see that guy, I'm going to throw an elbow in his face and I'm going to I'm gonna spit out his girlfriend and I'll I'll, 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 I'll I'll bite his bike tire off. I'll bite it off. Like it's, it's got to be the mood and theme of the entire Karen the whole time. But weirdly, if the silver things show up, they're not harassed. Yeah. Right? Everybody enough. else is. Everybody else is. Not them, though. Right? The rage is just calm it down. They might get into a fist fight if they look for it, but they got to look for it. Um, Glasswalkers have a university in Moscow. We're not. It's wisdom. There you go. Go figure. And Harry Potter nerds, whatever. Right. Sure. They got it. They, they're, they're good. Uh, the Winter Forest Sep is pretty cool. A deep glade in the forests of northern Siberia. Um, and it's, it's fertility. So uh, this place is where the uh, Red Talons have their only cairn uh, that is out there, and they, they guard it. And what's cool is, is that Stag led them here. And that's one of the things I like about this book and how they set up the Cairns. It tells you the origin of the Cairn. By yep. saying the origin of the Cairn, you know the purpose. By getting the purpose, you know why that tribe's there. Know why that tribe's there. You know why your players might be from there and why you might run a game there. And here for the Red Talons, it's naturally to bring back that populace of the wolves. Give them a place to live and to survive. And Stag led them here, and Stag gave them a promise. That if you protect and keep this land pure, you will all, you basically you'll have land where you will be fertile and will remain pure. And not only that, you'll have plenty to feed from, right? You always have a herd to feed your children and, and whatnot. So good that Pegasus has been seen, the totem Pegasus, has been seen grazing the glade and has led more than one Black Fury Lupus out here to mate, have children, and, and leave. Like, the Red Talons are worthy for that. And because of that, um, they're kin, that is. And because of that, the Black Furies have an open agreement to leave their male Lupus there for the Red Talons to raise. Why? Red Talons are a wild-based tribe. The Black Fury is here to preserve that. All fits hand in glove, right? Real neat. I always like seeing that. Provides that uh, that reason to it. Also, from a storyteller's perspective, that's also a Karen that I would like to call a dire fight. This book gives you several Karens, and we're not going to give everyone here, just we're going to give you the ones here to give what's your whistle here. All these Karens are set up real quick and sweet, because how do you not showcase the, the bad guys coming through to start to destabilize or destroy these beloved Karens? Like these are the places of Gaia. This is what the worlds are here for. It's what your players are here to do. In the course of this stuff going on and the stories to be told here, 
you want them to choose the places they're going to lay it down at where they're going to have the greatest of fighting. I think that Karen is going to be one of the most epic, right? If you think about it from this perspective, you may not say, um, unless you would raise the wolf, you can't play lupus, whatever. Um, but whether you be Hamid or lupus or Metis, the simple fact is that if you have a Karen where two totems are doing open breeding and preserving it and are dedicated to the wild and the wild's getting its ass kicked all around, there's a responsibility to defend these noble people, these noble wolves who are out there trying to hold it down. At least I feel. And a great story can be told from that of, of unity and a lot of ups and downs and drama added to it, too. And it's, uh, it lends itself for it. What I don't necessarily like, and that is because I'm a little biased at this, it's uh, the Sept of the Crescent Moon. Hidden in the rural mountains, the Silver Fangs have this superstructure, right? Totem's Falcon. They're awesome up here. And this book tells you, hey, uh, we kind of detailed everyone else, but we already wrote about this once. It's in Karen Places of Power. I'm never a fan of that. We're going to get you excited that there's this badass Karen here. Everyone else kind of has a layout. But if you want to know about this, we already wrote all about it. It's in Karen Places of Power. Do you want to know more? Right. Dare you enter my magical realm? That's just sort of how I feel about that. But uh, not the end of the world. I think it's like nine bucks. You can get that uh, Karen place. Of, no, you can't. In fact, that's super hard to find. Um, eBay might be where you have to go to find that book now. Yeah, we can't even find it on drive through So good luck, folks. Right. Um, that book has, I have a hard copy, but that's uh, neither here nor there. Uh, the fact is, is that that right upstairs. <laughs> I got a conspiracy theory for a half a second, Bob. So this is a this is a cairn of uh, of kingship, right? And it's yep. a it's a silver fang cairn, uh, you know, run by by Falcon himself. Could this be the one reason why the get seemed to be okay, which is letting the silver fangs do their thing? After all, they do run a cairn of kingship. Now, what I'm gonna say is that there's always a MacGuffin, right? There's always a reason of you know you don't touch. Like if there was a German raids across Germany. You're not going to touch the get because that's where their awesome black forest Karen is or whatever, right? Yep. So they're not going to lose in their home turf. Always that opinion. I think this is that for the Silver Fang. I agree with that. Like every time they're like, hey, we need to talk about who's running things around here. Sure. Come on over. We'll we'll invite you into our Karen. You guys can have a sit down. We'll uh, we'll talk it out. <laughs> right. We're not <laughs> we're not beating them because it's, you know, it's we were written that way. Plot armor. Um, yeah, I think a little bit of that has to exist. And uh yeah. You know, I don't, I don't feel any type of way about it other than, eh, it's for the story. Eh, whatever. Yeah, nah. You can't, can't, can't hate on that at all, really. Um, but enough about that. Um, the Umberscape is something they do touch on. And, uh, well, I'm, I'm going to help you out with that. The Umberscape in the appendix here, they have a bunch of Russian spirits and banes. That yes. is looking at more, more spirits than not. A lot of lore here. Um, Nick loved the section. Um, it was weird to hear him start quoting to me. He's like, oh, I was in The Witcher. Did you know that? Leshy, like, oh yeah, I do remember that. And to hear him talk on it, it was kind of odd, uh, but cool nonetheless. And they're definitely there. And uh, their descriptions are well for you to peruse and enjoy. It's not to say we won't touch on one or two, but it is to say that they do talk about this umberscape being different than what you're used to. Like, it should not be weird to you that a landscape so vastly changed that if you're walking through miles of Siberian tundra and any umber, it's natural and beautiful and looks uh, wild and majestic and primal that the moment you get to the outskirts of chernobyl the land looks diseased and hot and oppressive and banes are crawling everywhere and whatnot that landscape can change that drastically and should right it's one terrain being encroached upon and devoured by what's all around it's sort of pockmarked in a way that uh well it proves to what devastation has happened to it 
the, my my favorite part about this is like uh, is just how the gauntlet's different with the shadow curtain, right? It's uh, it's harder to see, it's harder to sidestep, it's harder to do all that stuff. Um, but it almost seems like malevolent spirits would just pop out like randomly, like oh, just to uh, just kind of fell out of this tree. Um, just going to go about my bane business and 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 carry on. Don't worry about me. It's uh, it's uh, it's so hard for you to step sideways, and they don't even have to try. They just they just kind of come across, and that's that crazy uh, Baba Yaga shadow curtain effect, which uh, we got a whole section to go over in that. Well, it's you're reading my mind. Security started it. Roll into it. It's not All just right. hard to sidestep, right? It, it's not it's- just hard to sidestep. As a matter of fact, it's uh, it's it's hard to do much of anything. If you're native to Russia, you're, you're staying in Russia. Bobby Yaga's got her people. She wants to keep them. You're not going anywhere. You can't send messages out. You can't create moon bridges out. You can't even drive a car out. Somehow we were driving down this road, went around the corner, and now we're headed back the way we were coming. What's going on? Uh, the only way to get out, and there is a way to get out, is by something called the scar, which they don't go into a lot of detail over other than it's an aberration somewhere inside the Umbra. But it just simply says, good luck. Like that Liam Neeson phone call you're going to get in the middle of the night. And you're going to walk the scar. Good luck. Essentially, their, their, their point is, is that there, there is a scar you look into. Um, really a blasted barren terrain, to be honest. And uh, all sorts of things can be found in a scar. Tend to be to the bed. And it'd be one hell of a way to have to find anything else. So that's, ugh. Man, the cool thing is that... Uh, Spirits can materialize. Like even if they don't have the ability materialize, they can materialize. That is uh, that is just right out written. Right. It doesn't matter what spirit it is; it could show up. Um, everything is harder to see and walk through for anybody that's not a spirit. So you know the spirits are are designed to go one way. It's almost like a uh, like a barrier just blocking traffic in one direction. But one thing you got to keep in mind is that uh, they they talk about what the umbra is like. It's doomy. It's gloomy. It's dreary. It's gray. Everything is just washed out and, and, and terrible. But they also talk about the amount of malevolent spirits that you'll find are huge and vast. And friendly spirits are not easy to come by. And there's one other thing that would be really a pain in the butt to deal with. Fighting in the umbra sucks here uh, because of that curtain. I mean, you get a plus. It's, a, it's an added difficulty to all gifts, ability rolls, and combat rolls. Yep. Now it's all increased by one, but if you think about it, that throws everything off, right? If you had reductions and cool things to get that much harder, the spirits don't face these difficulties. Nope. So if you're fighting them, that's it's dire. They're already hard. You're there doing that. Good luck. Added to it again, right? And that's sort of rinse repeat. If you think you can get a pocket mage, he can help you out. Well, guess what? This also prevents mages from freely using their magic willy nilly. Yep. Right? They have no access to their horizon room chantries either. It's harder for them too. Powerful magic. Why guy? Or excuse me. Um, Bobby Yaga woke up, decided her enemies are still here. Rose's curtain to correct it. That's the power she wields. And uh, she's she's magical. People, magical. She's magic, baby. Now, for the most part, we talked about the uh, the politics of the Guru here. We understand the Silver Fangs are trying to make a head ground and whatnot. And we're not going to beat to death every Guru in this book because ultimately, I only have a few in here that I even feel are worth mentioning because of their. Let me rephrase that. Every guru NPC in here matters as, as the filler for the plot they're supporting. But as I said, your players are going to be the focus, and these are good people to have at certain cairns, which is where you're going to find them. But I have my favorites, and that's uh, sort of the, the uh, why we're on a podcast, right? 
we're not going to beat to death the NPCs because Baba Yaga's already doing it. And we're going to get to her too, right? That's sort of the, the main character there. Um, it should be no secret that one of my, uh, one of my favorite NPCs is a, bon- is a excuse me, is a Geta Fenris. And I am talking about Fang Jumper. Good old Fang Jumper. Now, Fang Jumper is awesome because he's sort of, uh, he's not the typical Geta Fenris. He's Ragabash. He's rank one. He's all about having a good time. And uh, he likes being amongst heroes, right? He enjoys the fact that he's among these legendary badass warriors and he, he plays jokes. He has a good time. He has a blessed existence where his idea is to uh, poke fun at everything they have going on to the, to the detriment of themselves, right? They're very stoic, very serious, and he just wants them to laugh. And there's cool things one can do with them. Like, one of my favorite things of all time was when I ran this game and came through here, I used Fang Jumper to break up the monotony. Like, going through some real humdinger of fights and everything seems hopeless and what are you going to do next? Blah, blah, blah. Fang Jumper talks to one of the players and... <coughs> decides to challenge them to a fight and they're ready to get Karen and they understand that's going to happen and even convinced to get to come out. Now, Fang Jumper has a fetish called the collar of innocence that when he takes lupus form, it looks like a puppy, a harmless puppy. So to me, I thought it'd be hysterical if the badass glass walker of the group who's playing sort of a mafioso character uh, was challenged to a dance off. At Gorky Park, I believe was Correct. where it happened. It, like we came into the, we came into the, the uh, the Karen were like trying to find any bonars or, or glass walkers whatsoever. So we let out a howl of introduction. What's going to happen? Somebody's going to respond, right? Up comes the pitter patter of tiny little feet as uh, as this tiny little puppy comes up and then like issues a challenge. And we're like, what? <laughs> and it was answered and the dance off his head and everybody had a blast. Uh, just just the humor of it. Uh, dealing with some puppy who decided that he could bust a move, and he's he's doing it as a puppy. He's doing it in uh, lupus, and uh, you had to try or or admit loss. And uh, it was cool to have the characters decide that. And of course, it worked out to the good. And you could watch that that lever that seriousness broke up the monotony to have have fun to let it go. That stress was off their shoulders. Lovely character, and I didn't make him. That was in the book, and I believe a hundred percent he was put there to do just that. And uh, it's it serves its purpose. It helps refresh uh, the uh, the energy of the group to understand what they're here for. It's for people's like that little guy, and uh, the get all stoically always yell at him. You need you have duties to do. You have to go do this, go do that. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. He barks and leaves, but was always coming back to him. You know, returning items of use sometimes that he borrowed. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. How about your friends? Great character for that. However, by far not the only character in this book. Uh, Nick, what's yours? Uh, that is my favorite character. Well, that'll that'll cinch that. Um, it's not <laughs> to say it's not to say there aren't good characters in here, but I I will I will bring one up for the sake of just bringing someone else up, right? Um, another guy who uh, who was in here caught my attention was Tears at Flesh. Uh, it's a red talon, and uh, and they say this guy is like the rage of Russian guru made uh, made like in into into flesh form. But man, it, just the uh, the the crazy tale of uh, of of this of the way that this guy is supposed to be role played is just like a uh, a gnashing like psycho uh, wolf, um, which is kind of the way I like to see my red talents running this. Like the idea of a second impergium is not so much a suggestion as a are you still trying to hold us back? Probably the craziest thing about this dude is its fetish, which allows him to bite. 
at range. <laughs> uh, it's ugh, right. Could do a lot of damage. It's uh, it's nice, but it's another rank one character. That's another thing unique about this book is that the characters became realistic. It's like somewhere at White Wolf they hit a wall that said they can't all be legends. Yep. Right? Can we can we give something that you could see that okay, you're building your werewolf sort of right where you need to. Here's something you can compare it to at rank one. All right, still got cool stuff, and the story matters. And the background's not 13 pages long. Right? It's a paragraph. Boom. Done. And uh, I, I enjoy that immensely. It teaches a right element of let's take the stress out of having fun. To that end, the politics here is so far as it goes, they don't change much. It's basically Silver Fangs are tenuously maintaining control. You have the get offenders who support them. That adds to their strength. Black Fury is defending the wild. The Retalons are trying to revitalize, as you heard already. Um, you have Children of Gaia, Bonars, and Glasswalkers doing what they do in the cities. Uh, there's a focus to the people and helping them and the tragedies that are there. They're also contending with vampires. Well, we gotta, that, we gotta talk about the, the beef, though. Which which we haven't brought up between the children of Gaia and the Red Talons. I, it's it, it's important, right? So the children of Gaia, um, they held the Impergium. The Red Talons held the Impergium. They got so upset at this giant war party that was sent north to to hunt wolves that they decided they were going to jump back into politics. They were going to march on down to to Moscow, sit down at the table, and be like, "What's going on?" Um, the the children of Gaia said, "We got it." We we took a look at everything. We're we're infiltrating. Nothing's going to happen. We'll uh we'll, we'll keep them in check through you know like kindness and mortal means. You know we'll uh we'll influence their politicians. Everything will work out great. We have kinfolk in at the ground level, and the and the red talons just kind of you know like sniff the ground. You know like flicked their tail and said, "All right, we'll see." And uh, and it, they didn't right because once the nuclear bomb started going off, the red talons came back and said, "We don't care where you are." You leave now, because if we smell you on the wind, your blood on our teeth, and that's and that's been the way of the of the children of Gaia since they fled to the farthest reaches of the land or huddled deep in the cities, um, trying to masquerade as as glasswalkers or bonars or whoever will take them. But nobody walks out openly as a children as a child of Gaia because the red talons are hunting them. And what's interesting about that is the Retalons are hunting them as far as they won't go into the city. Right. Because right? that's a lot of, I mean, come on, Bob. <laughs> you expect me to live in a trash pile? I mean. Right. Well, I mean, it's, it's let's remember what the Retalons got to be doing. They have their own care to worry about. That's, that's why. You know, a decision was made. They're holding them responsible for something they couldn't have predicted. And that's, uh, to me, an interesting thing to grind. Um, I did forget about that, though. It's a good call out. And uh, definitely a stressor for what goes on in that. But this does remind me to mention the Sibirak as well. Uh, the yes. Sibirak are a hybrid bloodline of Silver Fangs and Wendigo. They're descended from the Silver Fangs who saw folly in trying to maintain the purity of their bloodline and bred instead with the Wendigo's flock. What they what they had here was a beautiful pairing, in my opinion. So we, so we, we fixed it. That's that's what happened. That's it. All right, right. That's that's exactly what happened because the Sibirak get their own track of land out in Siberia in the middle of nowhere, where nobody wants to be, where it's the coldest. And they have their own totem, a unique totem, uh, that guides them out there and takes care of them. All they got to do is yep. defend that area and keep it pure. That's that's all they care to do. They're not a part of the werewolf politics. They're Don't not a part be. of that scene, right? They have no interest in it. Not only do they have no interest in it, the Silver Fangs deny them. Yep. Right. They're like they don't exist at all. They're dead to us. Right. And the way I like to say it, the Wendigo respectfully leave them to their peace. Right. As if to say that if all goes to shit, 
the Sibarak will at least survive, and that's good enough for the one to go. And uh, I agree, right? Because let's face it, if you've struck out so many times, and here's this new pure direction that you went into, and they're holding, why would you rock the boat? That's that's the important thing. But now we're to my my favorite section of this book because it starts to open up. Well, what's going on in a in a direct teeth and meat sense? And what we have here is it talks about Pentex and the Black Sparrow Dancers. Now, Pentex's goal is the same that Pentex always has been about. That's slowly using the environment to come out with advances for mankind to help better mankind to live and be as pure as it can be. Yep, the best they can be. That's what they're doing. Now, I understand the oil spills, the deforestation, the nuclear falls. These things happen. And we're working on it. New safety regulations have just come out. Nobody complains about the unlimited energy you've been getting, the super discounts, right? The nightlife has picked up, right? You're not bored anymore sitting out in the boonies. We bring water to you. So we took out a lake. There'll be more rain. Polar ice caps are melting. You're welcome. And, uh, you know, we're, we're doing better. That's what Pentex <laughs> is doing in Russia. Right? They have it done. This, uh, this oddly, like, this whole section ended way differently than I thought it was going to. Like, <laughs> as I was going through it. Because you, your mind automatically spins to, oh, Russia and industrialization. Well, Pentex has just got to be ruling it. You know, like, everything's got to be going great. Not so much. They had a great run. I mean, they really had a great run. All the way up until after communism ended, when Boris Yeltsin was standing on a tank in Moscow, waving the new Russian flag, and Baba Yaga woke up and smoked the Bruja Council, then things got a little bit different. The BSD has decided that they want to kind of do their own thing. And all of that was enough for, uh, for Pentex to just kind of stop and say, all right, well, everything's wildly out of control and we're losing money. So we'll just. Well, we'll go over here now. <laughs> so go over here now means Bobby Yaga goes, hey, Black Sparrows, what's going on? And they're like, uh, the worm's cool. How you doing? She goes, the worm's not cool. <laughs> well, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, nothing. We were just going to jump in our pit that we made in a lot of our pits. Uh, Dude, have you seen our pit? Yeah, I'm not going down there. But uh, here's what I need you to do. What makes you think we're going to? And she kills three of them. And the remaining five are like, yeah, what do you need? Just night and day, right? <laughs> Dominance is established. And uh, she needs them to do things for her, like, you know, serve in her army. And, uh, you know, round up those wolves who won't agree with her. And if you don't agree with her, well, you're going to get killed. Do they get anything cool out of it? Yeah, they get to live. Until she's done with them. Right? Things are not good for BSDs either. It's, uh, well, or one can argue, in their insane way of being, this is expected. <laughs> right? The Black Sparrow dancers are always playing henchmen to some nefarious force. That comes from the worm because people keep having this misconception that the worm has massive meetings in Malpheus and they decide who's going to be part of what great organization. Yep. Everybody puts in their vote. And they fail to realize that, no, we'll get to the book of the worm. But no, none of them get along in that capacity at all. That's the point. Serves as much as a focal point of chaos as it does that of a destructive uh, corruption. Uh, but when you think about the dancers here, there is one thing that keeps the dancers happy with Baba Yaga. And here's the agreement. They said, whatever reason. They heard about the Mir space station. And when they heard about the Mir space station, they said, hey, we're the BSDs. Could you help us get up there? She said, sure. For whatever reason. Uh, we just got things we want to do up there in the black of space. It's not on the earth. You know, da da da. Yeah, sure. And they said, all right, well, cool. We're going to open up a moon bridge and go to the space station. You're going to let us? She says, yeah, absolutely. Go ahead and do it. I'll even help you do it. And all right. So she helps them do it. And they get up there in the Mir space station. Their nefarious plan 
there are puppet beings that took over the mortals that are up there in Mir Space Station. And they, they control it so the BSDs can sneak up there and do these Malfian rites, these blasphemous rites that are more powerful, way more powerful in the blackest space because they're not on Earth. Turgid, terrible rites. Right. So Gaia has nothing to do with it. So, or as I like to say it, long story short, she gave him a place of worship that can't be touched by Guru. <laughs> yep. Easily. No, no one can mess with it? Yeah, you can go do your weirdo things up there, no problem. Just not it, down it's here. It's not like they don't have good places. It's not like there's not fine pits down here in Russia. Oh, well, give me one. What, what sort of pit do they got going on? Uh, my favorite is the Hive of the Glowing Sea. Now, this is a, uh, this is a, a fun place. It's a, it's a pit where our friend Kraken has come along. Kraken, for you, uh, you Nordics. And, uh, and they, they fell down in the ocean where there was a nuclear submarine just kind of had like a little poppy hole in the engine and, and the green oozy oozy came out. <laughs> that wasn't enough. They also dumped two more nuclear reactors at the same spot just off the, the coast of this island. And, like uh, you do. And, and let's suffice to say that uh, it's irradiated. Um, but they built this pit. They go all the way down there and they go inside the submarine and they, they you know, like draw pictures on the walls and do their freaky hippie dances and, and perform their, their rites down there. Also, uh, what I think is a, a very unique and uh, an interesting uh, uh, pit. I won't uh, disagree at all. I think that this place is terrifying. Uh, for for all those reasons, if irradiated water that's warmer than it is outside uh, at the touch doesn't alert you that you might be in a bad place, Ooh. right? Uh, how about the fact that uh, if you sidestep, it's a kraken? Yep. Right. You're gonna say that's terrifying to me. Just wrapped all around this nuclear sub and uh, just live living there. And there's these black sparrows swimming like fish that breathe no problem. And what they might mutate and look like being around in those parts are very Cthulhu esque, right? Very very dark. Um, what if you were on the islands of the uh, Novaya uh, Zemlya that's nearby and uh, you're just you're just chilling, right? Not knowing about it. do they do raids at night? Do they drag people who are too curious off into the water knowing that they could breathe for one last uh I like to think at- that they just like sneak in to like your base camp and they put like a half eaten cracker on your chest just so you wake up in the morning. You're like, what is that? How did that get there? Right. So that, like they can mess with your head. All sorts of things can be done is my point. And uh, to to any storyteller, I've used it to gleeful um, results. I've I've enjoyed it. That's like the that's the depth of my depravity. A half-eaten cracker. No, don't do it again. <laughs> oh, is there crumbs? Is there crumbs and salt that are on? Oh, there's crumbs. Was it Keebler? We don't know. Um, that's a uh, that's a silly little thing. But uh, just remember, there's enough movies and material about a like, crafting experience you could do that definitely fits and fills that. Or just barbarity on what could happen. Typically, your more seafaring stories involve a lot of blood. And, uh, well, death is a, is a result of it. Definitely fits that hive, I feel. From the Black Sparrows, though, we have a uh, gigantic storyteller warning that hits us in the face. Oh, geez. Right? So big. So thick. Tells us immediately that uh, the great Zmi is what we're talking about. We mentioned before. The Zmi are a fearsome beast of immense power. Beings older than time. Beings when the world was wild with energy and ran rampant with power, unmitigated power, unchecked. Creatures of the wild, they were so amazing, so awesome. And then the worm corrupted them. And the worm corrupted them and grabbed them in its scaly hands and dragged them through the hole in the Malpheus with it, among other beings, but this is me especially. Now, why they give a warning to storytellers is that uh, if you're using mage, well, this, this is, this is going to come in handy, right? Because then they decide <laughs> to describe what this me are. They are corrupted 
marauder creatures from before the mythic age and are now part of the Nefandi horde. I'm sorry, what does all that mean? Well, what a marauder is, we won't get into. So right. suffice it suffice it to say in this book, it doesn't tell you anything about them. We won't drag down that hole too much. Safe, suffice it to say they're immune to paradox. Marauders are immune to it. It's that simple. Wow. So these me don't suffer paradox for using real magic. Okay. And they're now part of the Nefandi horde. The Nefandi are basically um, your, your demonic villain, your Mephistophian villain, your whatever you want to call it. Um, they, they serve the other powers, much like the Bali. In fact, a lot like the Bali. Uh, or vice versa, depending on what side of the fence you're standing on. Right. Um, or, for that matter, that Black Spiral that doesn't dance to anybody else's tune, not even the worms. You know, he wants to serve something else. Could. Have fun. Uh, but the point is, they're that. And the Nefandi Horde is immense. They have books for it. You can check those out if you want to. But this mirror part of that horde now. However, they can stay on Gaia longer than any other draconic being. And they mention another one. The Ikhthazai in Mage. And this is because of the nature of Baba Yaga's summoning long ago, which made them these marauder entities, thus immune to paradox. However, they still need to devour quintessence or spiritual energy, like Gnosis. And they get it from Guru Cairns. Oh, That's right. Oh, of course. These me attack and devour the, these Guru Cairns for the energy that they have invested in it that they need to stay sustain themselves. That's simple. However, nonetheless, the Guru do act against them. In fact, Here's where that story kind of gets interjected and Nick started telling. Uh, if you'd like to finish it now, Nick, you were talking about the Bogatir. Yes. So um, <clears throat> there are dragons. These are dragons. They are dragons designed to fight an antediluvian. Well, not designed, but, you know, they were pulled out to fight an antediluvian by our, our friend uh, Bobby Yaga. But they, uh, they came out. They fought the uh, antediluvian. They didn't quite win. And nobody really knows exactly what happened there because everyone who was a part of that fight keeps very tight-lipped on it. But suffice to say, when the fight was over, and the fight was over, um, they they kind of ran back off to Russia. And Absimiliard is, well, nobody knows quite where he is unless you ask one particular dragon. But wait, they're called the Bogatir. Bob, is there any relation between these Bogatir and the ones that served the Zemisi and the Diluvian? Zemisi clan book revised talks about that the Zemis attending him, they're the Bogatiri. And the Bogatiri were these legendary Russian heroes that accomplished great things, great feats they were known for that helped them out. Um, possibly. This would explain where they went. Quite possibly. Why would they be able to do that? Let's understand this. Over here, they fought dragons long ago. The entity that is the Zemis Antediluvian uh, would have no difficulty coming over and enslaving these guys. For the same reason why these Zemi do not have the power to kill Episimilard. For the same reason, it took all that it did to weaken and quote-unquote destroy the Ravno Antediluvian. They're, they're like gods. The Antediluvians are vampire. Understand that power scale, right? They're talking about. So yes, if power corrupts, you be a mage in a mythical time and your power is waning. Yes, you stop these dragons and it's over. Now you have this entity coming by who you probably tried to oppose and it found it amusing and it carried the fight and it enjoyed the fight. And you wonder how the Zemis was able to go over and deal with that which sleeps in the mountains and allegedly taught him the Amaranth and all that other stuff. Uh, I can't remember his name for the first time. Uh, Kapala. He deals with Kapala. How did he deal with Kapala? How did he have the power to deal with Kapala? Where did the knowledge come from? Well, it makes sense if you read this book, right? Just to me, it fills in the gaps. So these Bogatiri are mage heroes, knights, get corrupted by Zemis. He's able to deal with Kapala through their knowledge. They're enslaved. They serve him unto their death. 
or their usage or what they ever it ends up happening to them, right? It's all according to legend, and that's the fun thing. But that legend is a very chilling one, if you ask me. That no matter what you become, um, no matter what you intend to do, the world of darkness is a different way to go about it. Um, they did not die the heroic deaths you would expect them to have died. And uh, that they just disappear. Or did they? Just leave that for you to decide. Yeah, it never really goes into the details. And, and the Silver Fangs, of course, claim that they are at the Bogatir. Makes it interesting. Uh, because here the Bogatir is a title for heroes of old. Could be all the above, could be few, could be not. There you go. And the Silver Fangs at this point, remember we said they're batshit crazy? Still are. <laughs> um, that doesn't that change, right? Now, who are the greats? Me? Why were they? Why were they brought out? Well, um, here is where we kind of got to talk about Baba Yaga, right? And I'm gonna try to get the story straight. Baba Yaga is this super priestess. Uh, she's mortal. She's beautiful. She's in tune with nature. Gaia loves her. Everything loves her, right? That's nature, yep. and and there, and she's in the wild doing her thing, and along comes Abyssimilard. And Abyssimilard sees her, and he has to have her, right? That's his thing. Well, what's he do? Well, like all the Antiluvians do, apparently, if they see something they want it, they go and take it. That's that's the long and short of it. Um, however, this conflict was not so open and shut. Things happened. First and foremost, she fought him off with all that she had. Um, she brings the nature to bear. She brings uh, every possible power, but it didn't seem to slow him or what have you. Still taunting her, still coming. She pulled like that old school witch stuff out, right? Like like stuff from like times beyond times, like like stuff you only hear about like coming from some Lilith stuff. It's it's hard to say just what sort of magic she brought, but they call it the mightiest of magic. That's that's it, and it's and it makes sense, right? The winds protected her, uh, the rocks protected her, uh, trees ripped from their roots to attack him, and it just it just couldn't stop him, right? He just smiled. However, when she reached back far enough and decided she was bringing out uh, the Zmi, right? <laughs> she screamed out for them, and it's like uh, it's destructive forces she called upon, and these dragons were birthed into the world. To now attack this antediluvian, uh, that shook him a bit, right? That wasn't so easy to deal with, but he was dealing with it nonetheless. That's the uh, that's the scary part about this. They even go so far as to say she knew what would happen at the end of this, right? He basically he basically tricked them and sent them scattering, is what he did with this me. Yep, right. Confused, tricked them and sent them off, and they're gone. And Babiaga just just wept. She was defeated. She knew. Uh, that he would make her a slave and that he should be a thrall to him completely. And she couldn't bear it. And why would she bear it? Right? That's the thing I, I highlight here. Uh, faced with eternal slavery when you were at one and harmonious with the force of all creation. You would, it's all on the line. So what did she do? She reaches back again. And she calls forth something called the koshe, the talon of the worm. Otherwise known as the finger that points. <laughs> the finger that points. I love that. Right? Now it's very direct, right? Just that's what it is. Now, why it's interesting here is that the Koshe stepped forward to the battle of the, the old one, and Babiaga took off. Like, when this showed up, she left. What is yeah. Koshe, though? Man, all right, so we know about Talons of the Worm um, only because we've heard tale tell of Talons of the Worm. And it came from, uh, from Rites of Passage when they said they had the, the space rock with the super bad inside of it stuck in the frozen pit way up by the Wendigo Cairn. <laughs> right. Um, that's a that's a lot of super vague, but I mean, if you go back and listen to it, we we talk about it. Um, they got uh, they got a fellow there who's uh goes by his uh his weird uh, Nargothag or whatever name it is, but he is also a talon. Now, when they talk about these talons, they say that the hand of the worm reached down onto Gaia, and the werewolves attacked it, 
and they severed the hand from the worm. Now they say specifically, it's the claw of the beast of war that reached down, um, which I guess in itself is uh, either a very stunning uh, analogy or a pretty amazing uh, like actual visual that the picture that they're painting. I like to think like the Bible, it's an analogy. It's not. But <laughs> it's not. I want to stop you right there. It's not. You have the beast of war. You have the eater of souls, right? Those are two of the fingered claws or whatever that they're talking about here. Now, you know what the eater of souls is. Yep. Right. That's that's what we had the Croatan die to put to sleep. And that's and I do mean that to put it to sleep, to make it dormant. That's what it took. Koshe is. Well, he's the he's he's the finger. So there's they say maybe five fingers uh, as part of this talon. Right. And each one of them got separated and kind of ran off in different directions. They all chased him down, tried to get him. Uh, two of them are who knows where. One of them is being guarded by the Black Furies. Um, one of them stuck in a meteorite up in Wendigo Town. And this is the finger, the actual pointer finger or the one who points and also considered to be potentially the most powerful of them. And uh, so Bobby Yaga has got a hold of it. Somehow, in her crazy chicken hut, she's got the super egg of, oh, my God. And here's the thing, though. Like, for Baba Yaga, um, the fact is, is that this, this Koshe figure is, is not found by her, right? She doesn't have it yet. She wants it, right? She wants it because she made a pact with Koshe. And we still got to understand the full depth of what Koshe is. He literally is an avatar of the Eater of Souls. That's what Koshe is. Just to show you just how diverse and powerful the worm is, is that if the Guru... As comical as it sounds, when they describe the fact that the worm one day just reaches his hand through existence to grab and choke Guy to death, and the Guru collectively dogpile and chew off his hand, and the worm pulls the stump back, and that these fingers are left there, and then they eradicate these fingers, and then he gets scattered or whatever, because you can't fully kill him, but these things actually exist, and they are, they are these entities, and they actually bring them into a story, and a story where a player can encounter them, you have no earthly clue just how powerful a Koshe is. But you could guess, because your gauge is Koshe fought the antediluvian to a standstill. Or or so they or so they imagine. Like right? they go into some conspiracy theories later on in the book as to possibly how that fight ended. But all the only thing they know for sure is that Koshe walked away. What they fear is that there was an agreement made between Abyssimilard oh, he's, and he's, Koshe. He's getting into it. Right? And well you have to to make it make sense. You can't leave a dead duck like that. What? And of course like, I can. No, you can't because it's ridiculous. So, so the, the conversation <laughs> piece is that for some reason, uh, Abyssimilar cuts a deal with Koshe to basically, well, work against Baba Yaga, right? More or less. Like, we'll be back to address this later sort of thing. But I'll leave you be. You do this for me. You know, one hand washes the other. Why? Koshe wasn't at full power when he was brought out. Wasn't fully awake. Um, Abyssimilar was weakened from this me and everything else. And fighting her was no slouch. I mean, she's bound to the land itself. That's the power of her. Bobby Yaga has some strong character in her, and I think is, a, is an excellent character uh, for a villain. Uh, because she comes from the greatest and most purest of intent. Uh, that is, she refuses to do any harm to the land and dearly wishes it to be restored. Right? She wants to heal her land and thus her people. This is why she will never truly hurt an innocent person. Why? Abyssimilard, she was innocent, and Abyssimilard came and did to her the most evil thing one could do. And so she can't be the heroine that she wants to be. She plays the role of the ogre. As it said, if I can't save everyone, I know it's not my power to do it. I will then rule over the cursed land that is my fault, that it's this way, or at least my part in it. But she will do so by eradicating everything else 
that is actually harming it and getting rid of it and establishing that purpose. Is she right? Is she wrong? Well, we kind of know where that lies up because the whole book is based around her fall yeah. or redemption, depending on what your players choose to do with it. And I really dearly do enjoy that idea. Um, always a fan of redemption before out, out destruction. Destruction's easy by comparison. However, she's no nice person. I want to outline that too. Now as the entity she is, maybe mercy is its own reward. The Koshi, though, is really the big bad that nobody wants to let out of the bottle. Yeah, they 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 insinuate that if you let this thing out, that it's just the apocalypse, period. Eater of souls, ring a bell, right? That's uh, things no slouch, and uh, it's, it's definitely devastation. So to this end, the Baba Yaga has an army of the night, as it said. She has her generals, and these people serve to help her, well, wreak havoc, hold down Russia, as it were. Uh, the army of night is uh, the start of it, though. And uh, this is uh, where Victor is the general of the army of night. All that needs to be said, Victor is a fanatics fanatic. Uh, he's very unique, leads 25 vampires, all of a significant power uh, to do, well, what you think. Handle vampires from the vampire side of things. You know, they yep. serve accordingly. Now, what's cool about him is he served her a thousand years ago, willingly, and he's still doing it. And he's only uh-huh. gotten better at two things. That's combat and, and respecting and protecting her very word. Right. He waited a thousand years for her to wake up. And, and wow, what a blood bond. Um, and let's just say that blood bond could have waned. Not that he would want it or that would even, you'd even notice it. But he's embracing 3 BC. I think we can understand <laughs> this guy is nobody's bitch, right? That's, it's that simple. Um, so that's a hell of a guy to oppose right there. But what about this army of conversion? Uh, what I like about this, uh, this whole section is that they, they have all these different uh, forces, almost like she has her own like a hand with different talons on it. The, uh, the army of conversion is all about getting new people on board. So it's, uh, it's recruiting uh, spirits or banes or werewolves or mortals or anyone who wants to jump on board the do it the Baba Yaga way. The part about this that tripped me out the most is, uh, well, Typhon <laughs> is, uh, is a part of this art. Yes. Typhon, the uh, the the Incarna, it the the aspect of Grandfather Thunder, Typhon, is uh, fully corrupted. All about gaining this power, and uh, and that's super interesting because there's there's I don't a know, Karen. I don't think he, you can't call him corrupted. He's not corrupted. Typhon's an uh, aspect. Yeah, I right? guess. I mean, it doesn't say he's corrupted. What it says is Typhon's doing what Typhon does. It, I, you're right. What I could tell you is this: there's there's an entire cairn of um, of shadow lords that are dedicated to Typhon. Well, technically, is is Grandfather Thunder, Thunder, but he's supposed to be the uh, the the totem who oversees that that cairn, the Thunderstrike Sept, and and it, it says pretty explicitly, like if they ever found out, there's a lot of packs that are just gonna have to slowly take a couple steps back away from uh, a little bit of Typhon. Right, like he is a pack totem to more than a couple of packs of uh, of shadow lords, and and why Typhon is uh, well, let's just call it is a deceitful spirit who's out for sheer power. It's that simple. It's a spirit who is not corrupted. We'll say he's not on the he's not exactly on a guy inside uh, to begin with. He has his own agenda, right? And he's he's saddled to a part of Grandfather Thunder's realm because of what he is, where he started, right? And so I also like that about the Umbra, that uh, basically he's not his own original idea. Enough people wanted him. Why? 
the Sarmian conversion is going around and saying, um, basically, the apocalypse is going to rear its head whether you want it to or not. Right. I want you to imagine that this world is going to suffer. It has to. It has to because we have to bring a result. There has to be a finality, a, clo- a sense of closure to then begin building it back up but the right way. And in order to do that is to mitigate the total loss that it's going to happen. And we can do that, do it now with this army. And then we can begin to survive it to build it back up. Which side do you want to be on? The side that's hopelessly fighting for the days of yore that can never happen again? Or are you fighting for the future that you can control the outcome of? And that is a powerful argument. Oh, it's such a snake tongue deal. It's a powerful argument, right? No one wants to be on the losing side. And that's, and that's exactly where it comes from. Now, Typhon does a thing. You say yes. I'm joining up because I can help guys survive. Then that's what I got to do. I feel I'm born to do that. No problem. You got to worship Baba Yaga. Well, worship's a bit of a misnomer. You got to be on her side. Typhon stares at you. Meets you eye to eye. And if there's something in you that says no, it's not. Uh, well, he lightnings you to death. Yep. The Emperor Palpatine's you. <laughs> he's got that true sight of loyalty to Baba Yaga. And if you don't have it, he's going to see right through you. It's interesting, right? But that's that's how you're an army of conversion works out. Now, her combat force, the Army of War. Uh, this army, of course, is mainly of Tainted Guru and Black Spiral Dancers. What's the difference? Tainted Guru are ones who have been approved of by Typhon. They follow Typhon. Those are his followers, but we can consider them tainted. Why? Because they got the snake deal going on in their head. Ultimately, it's for a sense of good, but it's for the wrong reason. But they did not sign up to join the worm. Now, <laughs> that's fine with Bobby because neither did she. However, the Black Spirals are still in this army of war. makes for interesting bedfellows, to say the least. Uh, but there are also some Fremorian Banes that are in the army of war, along with the Zmi. And they're responsible for draining the Cairn. So basically, this army goes out, starts whooping ass, starts fighting those defenders of the Cairn. Zmi come in to play snatch them all, eat what yep. they can, and move on. And we, we get how that works. Now, there is an interesting character in the army of war, uh, which is someone, Snaps at Shadow, I believe is the name. Yep. Who, at the time of Fremoria, used to lead this army. Long story short, the Fomori decided that she was going to disobey Baba Yaga and fight this fight her way. Snaps at Shadow's spack and ends up dead because of it. In front of Baba Yaga, Snaps at Shadow's leaps and kills this Fomori, rips it apart, but then is horrified to come out of its frenzy to see that it had struck Baba Yaga. And horrified, not just out of fear, but utterly like hit, hit her mom, is the way to describe it. I like, couldn't believe she did it. But Baba Yaga smiles, was completely unharmed, and promoted her to lead the army of war. That promotion boosts the Black Spirals up. They get a total, they give you numbers, right? 31 Black Spirals, yep. Renegade First Teams, you know, Ron and Guru. You get it all thrown in here. And even points out how occasionally Soviet military units are dominated into aiding missions, right? And that's, uh, that's important because if you think it's just a bunch of supernaturals running around, no, they're launching missiles. They're bringing real military forces to bear as they need to. Now, rolling past Army of Despair, we talked about it. That's the Zemi draining Cairns, looking for Koshe's egg. That's their point. Um, but they also have this army of the arcane, Nick. What what do we got here? Okay. So this is where this is where it gets super sweet. The um <clears throat> the thing about Baba Yaga is when she woke up, she uh she decided that uh she wanted to create the shadow curtain, but she didn't quite have the means to do it herself. So she performed a couple of miracles, is what it says, to trick these choristers, celestial choristers, is what we're talking about. Into, uh, into, well, drinking some blood that maybe fell from, like, Mary's statue or whatever it was. But eventually, three drinks later, she bound an entire chantry of choristers to her and devoted them directly to creating this shadow curtain 
through the use of their magic. That's what this army of the arcane is. It's it's these people. Uh, there, there's no other way to put it. It's this is the source of uh, of her curtain of what she has of what sustains it. This is also the people she corrupted and tricked. This uh, this Joseph Zantovich is the leader of the army of the arcane, a celestial courser that actually summons uh, Bezriel, the demon, the blood angel, uh, to become the general of the army of the void. Ugh. Now, if that sounds ominous, it should because it said demon, and that's never a good thing. But to let you know how she does this, she tricked him to saying anything sh- anything they do is only to aid her in uh, saving uh, Russia and what they have going on, sort of the deal she's convinced them to do. And basically any- anything they do only aids her, so that's why some of the demon made sense, right? <laughs> now, <laughs> when it's thrown in, they have a backup plan, and that is they agree with Baba Yaga. <coughs> Excuse me. They agree with Baba Yaga to bring dynam- dynamism back, which is uh, break down static reality and allow this this force of pursuit uh so almost a philosophy to them which really is a way of casting their magics and bring back the days of yore babiag is all about this alleged power they can do and gain and so that's where that union comes in now the danger of this is that when you look at the army of the void right it consists of the darkest and most foreign of spirits all under the command of this demon they're tasked to capture spirits and suck their energy from them all for babiaga to consume in her thaumaturgy rites or feed to her zmi so the most powerful of rites she's able to do this is the source of that battery of spiritual energy. Not only that, the Zmi need energy constantly. Hence why they go at cairns and whatnot and do this. And by the way, if you're wondering why we can't spot the Zmi in Russia and you haven't heard about them flying around wrecking stuff, they're in hiding. They're not all out and up and running, number one. Number two, even if they were, they want to remain hidden. They don't want the guru to know that they're up and around until it's too late for the cairn. Go isolate, wipe out, right? Don't let them, yep. why would you want them stronger to face you? And that's sort of the Cold War aspect of what's going on with them. But uh, to finish Bezreel, why he's bad is because he's a demon, and he's a demon of utter torture. He exists to bring fear and to strip you of your sense of safety and to let you know that he is the most beautiful man in creation, and he knows it, and he smiles his sweetest when he takes your life after an endless bout of torment that he inflicts upon you because it saps the most uh, energy from you and beautiful, beautiful slivers of agony. Um, it sounds like Pinhead, if I'm if I'm honest. You wouldn't want to be under this guy's uh, tender graces, as it were. I'll agree with you that Pinhead's pretty hot, but um, <laughs> I'm not sure if uh, if he was uh, if it, his torture is exactly the same method. No, nah, no, nah, he's got those chains. It seems like Bezreel's got a whole kit uh, of of more than just that, right? Um, yep. And Bezreel does a whole bunch of things. He could teleport, dematerialize. <laughs> Honestly, this is the guy who, if your players encountered him and thwarted him at all and thought they were going to get him, he would torment them for the rest of their days. Showing up at inopportune moments to steal victory from them, uh, finding who they love and like, sending videos, you get the idea. Like, you could really touch on some dark aspects of this guy. Could you defeat him? He's defeatable, but man, would it be epic. Right? It'd be something... You'd have to fight him in the Umbra, and we know how difficult it is to do that. For you to fight him there, not for him to fight you. To boot, he has something called Fades. They're these entities that he's created... I believe he has to sacrifice um, an awakened creature to make one, and uh, or merely have one available. And he turns them into basically what are what are those writers that uh, wraiths? Is that what they're called in Lord of the Rings? Ring yeah, wraiths? the ring wraiths. That's more or less what the fades even seem like in description. They have a sword, blue light, aggravated damage. They look like shadows on the wall until they materialize, and they can teleport, dematerialize, and whenever you think Bezreel's alone, he's never alone. Because these fades are always around him, bodyguarding him. 
which is how it goes. And it's sort of, it's like, it's, he's an evil villain. Yeah. Uh, Lord of the Rings caliber. But despite that craziness, you guys may have heard this term a lot. I know I did. And when I read this section, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot all about that. This is where they're at. Have you ever heard about the eyes of Baba Yaga? Fair. Take your silence as a. Well, I don't think they're going to answer you, Bob, because they're not real people. I meant you, Nick, because you're you're the one I'm oh, like I, right in yes, front of. Of yes. course, I have heard of the eyes of Baba Yaga. Um, so yeah, the eyes are are just basically her children that she disperses amongst the ranks to uh, well to do some straight snitching. Uh, that's that's really the way it goes. I mean, you can't think of a more hostile environment than when everybody around you is going to North Korea you to Kim Jong Un up on <laughs> the mountain. <laughs> that's a that's a good point. It's a good point. Um, I'd say the entry they have here in the eyes is more than enough to give you an idea. Uh, they talk about her number one chill. She has a number one super guy that is Sergei Voshkov. And Sergei Voshkov is interesting because basically he's a Cold War throwback of epic proportions. He's uh, the chessboard yeah. king of KGB. He is the... Uh, he's, right- he's the villain in every single American spy movie there ever was, period. He's just the, the stone-faced KGB mastermind he is the dr doom of every marvel story that's uh he sees all these things and more you can read all about him he's here he's fifth gen and uh uh, he's powerful let's put it that way but he was embraced in 1991 yeah which means that during the writing of this book he is one year old one year old he's a badass folks that's all i'm saying uh but had a stellar mortal background to go with it to back up why he might be good at what he does I don't know if in a year he should be obfuscated seven good. Obfuscated seven. <laughs> I don't know if he should be that good, but they did, and that's all right. Well, if my sire is Baba Yaga, I bet my schooling goes uh, pretty much like you imagine. Yep, hide from me, and you won't get the beatings. There you go. The beatings will continue. I will feed from you exclusively. He's got a humanity of one in a year. One in one. a year. Well, he's a rat, <laughs> right? He's a rat yeah. KGB super spy. I don't expect him to have humanity of seven. Yeah, then he's artistic. He's got no conscience. No. Okay, we digress. We digress. We're getting off <laughs> <laughs> laughing about this chucklehead. Let's, let's not get too deep into this. Otherwise, <laughs> so we talked about the Koshe, and yes, it's nasty. It does what it does. There's a whole process here, which basically, if it gets free, you know what it's going to do. But last but not least, we mentioned Durgasin. Durgasin is Ravno, and we're done. Yep. Going on. So that's that. That's that. Um, I'll be honest. Durgasin's supposed to be the opposition to her. To Baba Yaga, and she's in here to do just that. Um, they do some stuff with her in opposition to use her in the story a bit of what she tries to do and resist and what Baba Yaga has done and and whatnot in the course of what's going on. Uh, she serves to be that sort of plot device for it, if you want, um, or not to. Really kind of up to you. Um, this does relate to some events in the Transylvania Chronicles load to a little bit, as uh, she's thrown in there as well. Um, but I'll leave it up to you. Uh, Durgason is there, and she's sworn to destroy uh, Bobby, excuse me, swore to destroy Durgason uh, and her people. So there is a reason she's earned the wrath of Bobby Yaga and maybe Durgason scrambling to, to answer that challenge and hopefully finds a way. Leave it up to you for how much you want to use her or not. I feel there's already a ton of info before you get to her, uh, but she's there for your perusal and you be the judge. Last but not least, they do get into obviously the plots that you could use in this book, the seeds for how to get things going. Um, but they address them overall in some points, right? You got vanishings of certain werewolves. You got drainings that are going on of certain cairns. And these all serve as a mystery to begin pulling in the players. This sort of is going over the fact that the curtain just came up. 
and the players exist sort of in a, a realm of chaos and they haven't quite they haven't quite answered what's going on. There's two sides of the fence. You could be the guru from the outside who've lost contact with those in Russia sent to investigate and welcome to Rage Across Russia. The other one is that you're already in here trying to send help, find help, discover this min- ma- excuse me, this madness that's going on. You can build what you want is what it yeah. comes down to. And, and keep in mind, they, they put a lot of hard dates in here of, of when things happened. But I, I think that's uh, completely avoiding the, uh, the, the point of the book. The point of the book is that this is what's hot now. Don't be like, oh, yeah, well, Baba Yaga woke up in 1991. Uh, how about she, she woke up last year? We'll just say she woke up last year and got things in motion. Right. Smart call out to you. Like, don't uh, just don't discount it because you need the, the urge of a timeline. Use the material for how the material is rolled out to you. And uh, adjust the taste, right? Spice your own soup. Yeah. Um, but with that, that does bring us to a close of uh, Rage Across Russia. Um, I love the book. I think the book has uh, is a great campaign. Uh, I would say I do like it more than the Amazon book. Uh, but that's because I'm a fan of the vampiric elements added in and the stories that come from it. So there's epic canon plot that people can be a part of and witness and experience that I don't think requires them to be the center of the story, but they still could thwart it with what they choose to do. Um, defending a Karen should always be a great thing that players could do or opening new ones is a challenge. Those echo disasters alone, man, are, are yeah. a ton of things that players could, could tackle to, to try to make something uh, make a name for themselves, gaining the power to go handle other things. And um, I don't know. I'm a fan of the book. I think it definitely rings uh, of a werewolf feel, no doubt, and uh, gives a call to to a challenge, uh, to a storyteller looking to add their own big epic plot, mini stories and chapters across the backdrop of a canon uh, story arc uh, that has such potential and what you need to do. And uh, that's my take. What about you, Nick? I'm gonna be I'm gonna be real with you. Um, this book has like a couple of spots at least where it starts to like uh like think about jumping the shark pretty aggressively. Uh, we we've seen a steady steady increase, uh, like a ramp up in the uh, the aggressiveness and the capabilities of worm creatures. And in, in every book we've gone through to date, this one didn't have a nexus crawler. It didn't need a Nexus crawler because it had things that were way worse and then worse again. This is uh, this is obviously like the ramp up to the worst possible scenario uh, that I think uh, you, you see in, in even future books with uh, with the kind of things that they rolled out here without actually just rolling, like you say, the beast of war or the eater of souls out in front of you. They're giving you a scenario here where they're like, OK. Well, you all better get together and handle these things or just leave them out of your story entirely because OMG. What I will say is that if people are going to cry about a challenge, I guess you can. <laughs> but I play a werewolf. I play a werewolf, right? If we're going to be yep. the heroes. Let's be heroes. If we could shapeshift and call on supernatural powers, the spirits of yore to do some thundercrack and stuff. I mean, if the Amazon book taught us anything and said we got fetishes that did even the score in the playing field and it takes the right player to play accordingly, to answer that heroic challenge, to deal with these threats as they come up. And a good story to write, so go with it too. And I think that's what it lays out. But you can't have Mamby Pamby. You can't fight the, the henchmen all day long and call yourself great. Eventually, you gotta ring the bell and take Tyson. I, right? I agree. That's, it's just, you know, like uh, how, many, uh, how many Mike Tysons are there gonna be? Who cares? What I do like about this, what I do like about this 
is that uh, it uh, it sets a great mood. It uh, it doesn't have a problem with drawing you in to where your fight is with Gaia, right? It's uh, even even more so than than the Amazon. I think Amazon is just like directly an insult to like like somebody walked up and slapped your sister and and your sister was Gaia. This is like beaten and abused and drugged through the dirt, hooked on meth, chained to the radiator, like the worst thing ever they could do to Gaia. And it's just been through hell. That's the situation you're coming through. Not in a war that's that that people are fighting or losing. It's in a war that you've pretty much already lost. But are you gonna strap on your boots? Are you gonna pull a you know, pull your buck knife out of a uh, out of your shoe and 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 start moving forward, or are you just gonna kind of tuck tail and be like, oh, it's too hard? What I like about this is it forces that spirit out of you, and uh, and I can say without a doubt, this is probably my favorite book to date um, as far as a campaign setting. Definitely with a rage across, a hundred percent. This is a uh, this was the first one I read. It's still my favorite. And uh, and I but then again, I love the dreary nature and the gloominess of it and the and the hopelessness of it. To me, that's well, that's just the salt I like on my cake. So but even if salt you like in your cake, can you imagine someone saying, OK, you're in the, the mountains of Utah, you're at a cairn, it's nice and safe. And yet again, someone has ruined the grocery store and who, who's ruined the grocery store. It seems that there's three bonars who went through the first chains that were forgotten about that just they just rate it. They're just abusing their power. They don't want to deal with it. And that's the biggest threat that the players have to face in the Karen. Oh, what a plot that is. <laughs> Go and convince them they should not do that. Bring them back and make them do community service. I bet I, that's I'll be a, honest with you. I battled a tougher fart in a car during a long drive. Right? That's it's I mean that's your choice. <laughs> or you could be epically doing what needs to be done, right? How do you want your name to be remembered, as they say? Even if I die in a rage across the Russia campaign, I know my tribe knew who existed and who died in their name. And you should die. You, you really should. Because I'll be honest with you, the amount of times where you actually accomplish the goals laid out in this book should be so minuscule, they are unforgettable. But you achieve them. That's hopefully you do. And uh, with a little planning, a little luck, or maybe just a great tell. That's what happens. Yep. Um, but thanks, folks, for listening. Uh, we know that this is going to be the, uh, the end-all, be-all. Uh, we didn't tell you it was going to be a two-parter, but uh, it is. Definitely a two-parters. It's over two hours in this current run-through. And uh, hopefully there's some magic done with that. But uh, my bad. We didn't exactly plan on that. Uh, kind of rolling and jumping through it. That said, uh, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to our 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you liked what you heard, please reach out and let us know on Twitter at 25 Years of VTM, at our email, info at 25YearsVTM.com, on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash 25 years VTM or on our website www.25yearsvtm.com If you would like to support us, we can be found at patreon.com slash 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade.